Previously on Automation Town. Open the window. State your name. For a few moments today, we were robbed of the security and comfort of our lives here in Automation Town. The safety of belonging in a community of like-minded and forward-thinking citizens. A generation of people growing up without knowing how to put in a hard day's work. I knew I recognized that voice. You knew who that was? It was the mayor of Manualsburg. The mayor of Manualsburg, that was him? Jacob McCringleberry. The area we're going to is off limits to all but those with Epsilon 5 clearance. Need I remind you, you agreed that what you saw that day would never be spoken of again. What happened, happened. It's in the past now. October 9th, 1982. Subway collapse leaves dozens missing. And I'd like to introduce you to your new sound engineer. Meet Amelia. Hi guys, so excited to work with you. Taking over? I, okay, what will I Amelia be? will bring this show the professionalism it's been lacking. The subway? My grandfather? Now Buzz? Subway, my grandfather, and Buzz. As we enter a new chapter, I want to be very clear about your role and what is about to happen, Paul. Your friends' fates were sealed the moment they saw things they should never have seen. We need to go now. How? Oh. We need to keep moving. I don't know. You think they'll find us in here? We don't want to hang around here to find out. <gasps> oh my god! Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh. Come here! Come cover here! Your right. heads. Yeah. Oh, oh, my oh my god! Oh my god! That just the Grumley Center? My house in Budapest, my, my hidden treasure chest. Golden grand piano, my beauty focus me on you. Oh, oh, I believe it all. My Hello? Excuse me. Uh, hi. Hold on. Hello? Uh, how can I help you? I'm looking for this type of battery. <sighs> sure, this looks like a CR2032 uh, lithium coil type cell. 3 volts, 240 milliamp hours. Often mistaken for the CR2025 due to their similar size, but the CR2032 is a superior battery. So, do you, you have- really use these in weapon sighting systems? I just need a couple for a kid's toy. Yeah, they're right over here. And immediately thereafter, the building itself collapsed.
elapsed. Oh, Local another day, show, another disaster, and automation down. Well, what happened? The Grumley Center, it just fell over. The recording studio? Here's Mayor Goodway and owner of the radio station, Buzz McTompkins, at a press conference just minutes ago. I just, I fear the worst for the automation show, boys. We're gonna get to the bottom of it. Truly a sad day for the residents of Automation Town. That building was hardly six months old. I'm no conspiracy theorist, but what's a six-month-old building doing falling over? But that's where... Word is it fell over right on top of the Automation Town team. Shame. I like them. Oh, well. So, these batteries should work? Those... Those were my friends. Well, isn't that ominous? This week, what just happened to the Grumley Center? Did our friends make it out? Who's behind the madness? And we talk about the very worst part of work, email. Ugh. Nobody likes it, so can we automate it? I'll add more on this week's Automation Town. Let me get this straight. You saw some spooky police beneath the Capitol building. Yep. And those same spooky police chased you into the Grumley Center. Yep, yep. We escaped through a secret tunnel under the building. An abandoned subway project. Then they blew up the building because... Why again? The mayor of Manelsburg. Jake McCringleberry. Jake McCringleberry? Jake McCringleberry. He's been kind of making some threats. We have some... Ideological differences. We think automation is the future. He thinks the old ways are the best. It's all very noble. And that would make someone bring a building down on top of you? That sums it up. The real question is, what's next? You mean, how do we get out of these tunnels? I mean, what happens when somebody tries to, uh, well... Like, bury you? Bury you, but you come out the other side? Oh, man. Does this mean the end of automation show? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I yes. think we, that's what yep. that's, that's yep. probably. That's what that means. <laughs> Duh, Paul. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Where would we even record it? Can I draw everyone's attention back to the fact that we've been buried alive in this tunnel and need to find a way out? That is a problem, isn't it? Well, if this was a subway tunnel, it has to have several entry points, right? If they actually finished it. Here we go. Is that a... Convenient hallway with a single metal door at the end of it? Yes, it is. I'm afraid. Okay, who's gonna try the door? Not it. What? I will try the door. It's locked. Hang on, maybe I can... Oh, yeah, that's not happening. Well, where do we go from here? Doors open. That was awesome. Uh, well, Jason, you want to do the honors? Okay. Uh, thank goodness for phone flashlights. Oh, here we go. Well, that's better. Why is there power all the way down here? For lights? This looks like, uh, what is this? Some sort of control room. 
something to do with the subway system. Check out these pipes. Wow. Some kind of utility? Water, maybe? Check this out. Is that a backpack? Is that backpack plugged into the wall? This is a cell phone signal booster. Basically a portable cell tower. Oh, look at that. I've got cell signal now. Whoa, 3G. 3G? Higher frequency protocols like 4G and 5G don't penetrate structures or Earth as well as something like 3G. So if you need a signal underground... 3G is the way to go. I guess the question is, what do we need cell service down here for? You'd need it for something like this. <clears throat> yeah, look at this. Uh, plugs in the USB, looks like it has a remote, uh, the cable goes from over here, there's an input, uh, XLR, um, uh, Jepson 105. It's a KVM over IP switch used to remotely control a computer. Yeah, KVM over IP, right, yeah. I guess you wouldn't want to have to come down here anytime you needed to do, I guess, whatever it is you do down here. Guys? <clears throat> uh, gang? Remember the other night when there was that rumbling during the show? Rumbling? We were in the middle of a show and the ground started shaking. Like an earthquake? Like an earthquake, but there wasn't an earthquake. You think all this could have caused that? Or could have been related to the break-in at the Grum. They did go through the spooky door. Well, as interesting as that all sounds, what I don't see is a way out. You're right about that. Sorry, it's my email. I guess I just connected to the 3G. <laughs> what? That was a lot of emails. And you have notifications turned on for, uh, emails? Ugh. Yes, I get a lot of work emails. They aren't as cool and new-agey as all of you. Oh, I've got emails too. Well, when you two are done catching up on email, maybe we can make a plan to maybe get out of here. I say we keep walking. Keep walking? We've got internet. Let's call for help. And tell them... Hi, it's Jason. I'm uh, underground. You're going to want to dig through the Grumley rubble, take a right, walk about a quarter mile, and we'll be the first door on your left. Okay, maybe that doesn't help. All right, let's move out. You still have 3G? I don't, but I can still send emails in offline mode. So you're going to use this time to catch up on email. You got a better idea of how to pass the time? <laughs> so, what are you using for email? I'm mobile, I'm using Superhuman. So there's a difference between what you use on mobile and what you use on your computer? I don't know why I said on mobile. I use it both <laughs> on mobile and on desktop. But what I do love about Superhuman Mobile is it downloads all your messages so that if you do go offline or in airplane mode, you can still read them and then you can like schedule them to send so that when you get an internet connection, it'll send it out. And it's actually even smart enough to where if you got another message from that person before it goes out, it holds it back, which is always my fear with like pre-scheduling messages, right? I'm gonna send this thing to a person on Monday, but what if on Sunday they tell me that their cat dies or something like that? <laughs> okay, I'm not a superhuman user. I'm kind of like watching it from the sidelines. Tell me what superhuman is. So I think the novel, it's a few years old now. I think the novelty of it originally was, you know, they always said it's the fastest email experience on the web because it, kind of reinvented keyboard shortcuts for web apps, I think. You can basically navigate the whole thing with your keyboard and it's super snappy and it's just like kind of minimalist and not anything more than it needs to be and very fast. 
I guess why would someone use it? Just because they want to use shortcuts? There's definitely like a club kind of vibe with Superhuman. Like I associate it with like the tech bros who were using it in the very beginning. For me, like I get such a huge volume of email that anything that can make my email processing even the slightest bit faster, like, oh mama, I will happily pay for it. That's the thing with Superhuman is it's a paid email client, which there's a lot of like pearl clutching as soon as you say that I think because people are like what do you mean you have to actually pay for something email related <laughs> but because I just have such a wild volume of it it does make my life faster I do love the super like keyboard shortcut enabled like version of email I was late to the party honestly I've made fun of it for years but I love it now <laughs> you got me stuck on so I feel really left out right now so I guess the one sentence sales pitch to convince anyone to try out Superhuman, what could they expect if they just tried it out for the first couple weeks? So every day you get an email from Superhuman that's like, here's kind of a way to build on what you know so far. And so they kind of like phase in those lessons and that muscle memory a day at a time. Oh, okay. Like for me, for small volume email users, totally doesn't make sense. If you use a ton of email, I think it makes great sense like it's it's the most focused email client i've ever used i've turned a lot of people onto it i think most of them stuck with it so if that's you uh it could be something that you're into gotcha so if we're down in the middle of a basement underneath the ground you can work offline and there's no issues you can right like i assume nobody else's emails are synced <laughs> to their phones right now what do you use paul long live hotmail you're using hotmail paul uh, yeah Paul. What about yourself, Chad? I'm Gmail, Google Apps. Just vanilla Gmail? Vanilla. Oh. For work, we've got it hooked up into some project management stuff, but the majority of stuff goes through Gmail, and that's the app I have on my phone. That's where I've got all my filters, that's where I've got all my forwards and all my organization, and that's where I'm it's where I'm it's where I'm living. It's where you feel comfy. There's no shame in that. What's an inbox rule? What's and what, what's an inbox rule? Are you kidding me? Okay, so maybe I have a few things to learn about tech, but I'd also like to see tech kick down that metal door. So an inbox rule for me in Gmail right now is, it's essentially called a filter. If you want something to happen to an email when it comes in, you can apply a filter. It's been around for a long time, but you can essentially say if something has a certain amount of text in it, or it's from a certain person, you can set up a rule, send it somewhere else, or it could be marked as read or archived. Do a whole bunch of stuff with it automatically without having to lift your finger yourself. When you say lift a finger, is that because it's not keyboard shortcut enabled? <laughs> it, was, it was a dig at you, yeah. You, you, caught, you caught that one. <laughs> I will say for all of like the sexy automation that's out there, email automation is probably like the automation we all need more of because it's what we spend so much time on. And then you have like this one task that you do twice a month that takes 20 minutes and you're like, I'm pretty sure I can automate this. And then you spend like six hours a day on email and never think about email automation. But inbox rules were like a pretty OG awesome automation, right? Mm -hmm. Move it to a folder, then you would never go to the folder. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there was also, um, I guess another type of automation we use is uh, email aliases. So easy to do in Gmail. Yeah. Okay, I'll bite. What's an email alias? Oh, something comes in from your, you know, 
uh, name plus newsletter at gmail.com, you know you can do exactly what you want to do with that through your through your filters. Yeah, so the office environment version of that, you can set up something like 30 aliases per mailbox, I think is what they call it. But the beauty of Google stuff is it's literally like if you're like if my email is Jason at gmail.com, I can literally just put a plus after Jason and then whatever I want. And it's like a on the fly alias. Uh, so like Jason plus newsletters at gmail.com. In fact, I was writing a newsletter at one point and one of my subscribers was, you know, chat or whatever plus low priority newsletters at <laughs> gmail.com. Like easy guy. Uh, but like, <laughs> I totally had that. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> like there's so many useful applications for those aliases. Oh, I think I used in it for the gift cards once when signing up for something. You can also put periods oh. with Gmail too. So if you have, you know, Jason, you can put J A dot S O N and then it'll still come through and then you can run your automations based off of that J A dot S O N, which is kinda nice. Yeah, I think anytime you're managing an inbox for, you know, a bunch of organizations or a situation where there's a lot of context that would be helpful, I think aliases can be leveraged in really powerful ways. At one point I was working with a group of dental clinics and they had, you know, 20 plus locations and it was all managed from kind of like a central admin hub and all those bills had to go somewhere and all the receipts had to go somewhere and payroll hours and all that stuff. Mm. And what we actually did was we used these aliases and so every clinic location had a three letter abbreviation and every document class had another three letter abbreviation. So bill was BIL, receipt was REC. And after the plus, you would put the three-letter code for the location, dot, three-letter code for the document type. And then I think inside of make, we would parse out those two codes. And if it was, you know, location X and a bill, it would go to the bill.com account for that company. Or if it was a receipt, it would go to the Dropbox folder for that location. And because we had those aliases set up, it enabled all those things to be processed automatically. So you are super woke on your automations. Now you just have to convince a whole bunch of people to follow your rules. Well, the best part is when you set that up with the vendor. So like the <laughs> notifications, like go to that place correctly. Cause that's what you don't want is human beings then forwarding it. Right. Right. But yeah, in a perfect world, you set it up that way with the vendor. Uh huh. So what are we going to do when we get out of here? What do you mean? They tried to bury us. If we just waltz out here unscathed, uh... Yeah, I guess with that ominous Jake note, I don't get the impression that they want us telling our story. You think they're... Looking for us? They aren't going to want us to talk. Who is they again? The bad guys. Jake, the mayor, Buzz. Buzz? Yeah, we aren't really sure who's behind all this. I mean... Jake left me the note, we know that much. I can assure you, Uncle Buzz would have nothing to do with something Jake is involved in. What do you mean? Buzz can't stand Jake. There's some long-running beef between the two of them. I mean, Jake did take over the radio show. So do you think they're, like, waiting for us? Like, camped out at our house? It does seem like that's where they would go looking for us, doesn't it? Well, I've got the RV. I actually moved into a new park a couple days ago. So we're going into hiding? I've seen that RV. It has a pull-out couch. Amelia, you should think about what life looks like after this. I'm not shacking up with the Hardy Boys. Sorry, Paul. So, email. Email. 
Oh boy, remember Gil? <laughs> oh Gil, bless his heart. He sent me an email this morning, subject line, follow up question, all caps. Of course. Boys, remember how you helped get a banker access to data from my QuickBooks file by syncing data out to Google Sheets with Liveflow? That's right, Liveflow. Liveflow. The banker was so impressed he referred me to another client of his, CFO Today. It's like a fractional CFO company where you go in and advise businesses. And let me tell you, I am loving it. I've introduced Liveflow to a bunch of my clients and it's saving them a ton of time. It's like I'm just a Liveflow hype man now. Anyways, my question. I've got a client who struggles with short-term cash. The QuickBooks reports are okay, but I'd like to build some custom projections for short-term cash planning. Any ideas for how I could set that up? As always, thank you, boys. Automation show! Woo! That's classic, Gil. Cash planning. Any ideas, Davis? So, I know LiveFlow has a bunch of templates you can use. Makes it simple to create a Google Sheet as a starting point that's connected to your QuickBooks. They do, and they've actually got like an accounts payable dashboard template I've used before. It syncs the bill data from your QuickBooks file and would probably be a good starting point for cash planning. Yeah, you could use that data to build out a cash planning spreadsheet that shows upcoming bills for the next few weeks. So you're gonna type all that out to Gil? I can email him later. Where do help desk tools figure into all this? Are they replaced for inbox rules? Oh, that's a good question. How have you used help desk tools, Chad? So I've used help desk tools in the past to help departments keep in touch with customers kind of by department. So main support, payroll support, AP support, tech support, all that kind of stuff. We've leaned in heavily to the teamwork universe, so kind of stayed away from Zendesk and those kind of things, but not because they weren't great. It was just back in sort of 2013 and 14 and 15, there were very few that could embed images in replies. So teamwork was super ahead of the game back then, and you could reply with your GIF or reply with your screenshots, and they wouldn't be attachments. How about you? We've pulled it in in situations where, and I think this is the point you're getting at, like it's helpful to have a more pooled approach. So like either one of several team members could reply, or at the very least you want a team to have visibility into like all of the emails of that department. It's funny enough, we were around that time we were using Teamwork Desk as well. Uh, some other great things that it was doing for us was you could set up like custom triggers that you could fire from within the app. So we had a series of like webhooks that would get called from those triggers. Ooh, and the other cool thing about it back then, you had an unlimited number of inboxes. So we actually had an inbox for every client and then we created these webhook triggers specific to each client. You could just fire it off and it would take that email where it needed to be. Uh, but to bring this back to Paul's question, I think the value for help desk tools is whenever you want to get out of that like one-to-one -one personal inbox, which honestly is almost always, you know, you want like visibility across your team and stuff like that. Uh, I think that's where they become really powerful. And then the good ones have like another layer of kind of cool automation tech on top of them. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying is the perfect recipe for using help desk tools and inbox rules together is that inbox rules can be set up automatically to forward into help desk tools. And then everybody works out of the help desk tool. Yes. And from personal experience, if you do still have inbox rules, like that precede the processing going to the help desk tool, that becomes a really tangled web because you aren't sure what's doing what. But 
kind of different functions. You can get basically inbox rule functionality from your help desk tool. So it's not really a question of like, is this going to beef up my inbox rules? It's more about like, how are your squishy human users gonna interact with it? What about Zapier? I know you've talked about Zapier email automation in the past, but I wasn't really listening to that. Should I be using inbox rules or Zapier to automate email? Good question, Paul. So I think this is pretty specific to your own use cases, like almost every answer is. But I think of using Zapier whenever there's a heavy lift or just some things that have to happen after the email comes in that a standard rule wouldn't be able to do. If it's a simple one-two punch where something comes in and it needs to go to a folder, keep that in your email all day long. But if you need to parse out some information and reformat some stuff and maybe put it in a database and then save it to the folder, Zapier is your answer. I think of rules as routing and Zapier as parsing and connecting to another app. So all the routing and all that should just be managed with email rules. That doesn't need to happen in Zapier. You only really pull Zapier in when it's time to take some data from that email and put it in another place. So for example, let's say you get a receipt every month from some service that you use and you want to parse the dollar amount out of that and post it in your accounting system every time. I would set up a inbox rule in Gmail or Office 365 that says every month when I get this email, forward it to this Zapier address and then Zapier is going to parse the amount and post it in the accounting system. But the inbox rule is still set up on the email side. So I guess I think of Zapier as like, you only really touch that when you want that information to go somewhere else. Thank you for the question, Paul. How do I get my colleagues to send me less email? Well, isn't that a, oof, that's a good question. You figure this one out, you win the lottery of work. Yeah. I can say, at, like at one point, team chat apps were heralded as the death of internal email. I don't know if that's entirely true or even accurate. What's your experience been with that, Chad? Depends if you're talking to like a therapist or a worker or somebody else. Everyone has a different opinion on how chat apps affect your your mental health and your ability to manage multiple like notifications. I don't know. I'm, I don't let that stuff bother me too much. I'm okay with having the chat apps be there. I feel like if something is urgent or it needs a conversation, it goes through a chat app. And then if there's something that's external or needs to be documented well or is part of a project or something like that, it tends to it tends to live in email. We have a, a an internal kind of rule where if people, you know, need an answer where it's one to one and it's not meant for posterity or any type of looking back on stuff, conversation based, use the chat app. So I'm kind of pro Slack. I know most people aren't, and they've kind of gotten away from that kind of life, but I still find it incredibly useful and uh, get stuff dealt with fine. How about you? I have a love-hate relationship with chat apps. I do think people oftentimes like use them for the urgent things, but to be honest, like 80% of my chat app activity is just pure tomfoolery. So it's really hard to delineate between like what's that urgent thing I got I need to respond to versus... Oh, here's a picture of Steve's cat. <laughs> I think the problem we all have with chat apps too, and there are some extensions that help with this, is like the ephemeral nature of chat apps where you read a message and you're not going to come back to it later. Like there's not really a workflow built around chat messages the same way that there is email where you resolve it when it's done. Yeah. It's very use case specific. Chat apps, I mean, the best part of chat apps to me is the fact that you can like build them into workflows and put buttons on things and do all these other things. Mm -hmm. Like kind of build your custom interface around it. But I will say 
One of the best hacks I've ever found to receive less email has been to send less email or to not respond to emails you get right away. Mm -hmm. So if that's a customer email, give them a little time to think about it. Uh, I think if you respond right away, you've got like a 20x chance of them bouncing back another trivial question rather than like just giving them the slightest bit of friction to getting another answer so that they'll actually go through the mental exercise of figuring it out themselves. So I do think how you send email can be an art form if your goal is to get less email. But yeah, I think we could all do with a little less email in our life. Most of the emails I get now are from apps sending me notifications about things. Oh, that's just the worst. They're not even real people. So in my mind, the emails I get from people should be at a different level, like a different class, right? So those services like ClickUp, I love ClickUp, but holy geez, like the notifications are outrageous. And then many of these services, you can't get granular enough to only get the thing that you actually want. So people leave them all on just in case one of those things is the thing that they wanted to see. But then like your inbox is just on fire. I was talking to an app over email yesterday and I said, I don't see a setting where I can turn off this system transaction thing. Could you just do that for me? And they're like, no, this is important. So it's not important to me, promise. And they're like, oh, yeah, it is. I'm like, okay, so how can I change my email in the system? And they're like, well, you're going to have to do that through us too. It's like, oh. So I think there's a lot of work to be done from apps to increase the customization of the notifications. But I mean, ClickUp does a good job sometimes of letting you choose which types of emails and notifications you get. You see it differently with all the apps out there. So this is where the rules come in, right? So if that one payroll app that's sending you that stuff that you don't want notifications for, set up a filter or a rule to skip the inbox and not bother you. Yeah, so one interesting workaround here, I think, is having like a service account that all of those notification emails go to. Mm -hmm. And then using Make or Zapier or something like that to then parse those emails and send those notifications where they actually need to go. That's the only workaround I really know to not having the granularity around what things you want notifications on and what things you don't. So if one of those 10 things is what you actually want a notification about, pipe all 10 to somewhere where you're not going to be notified, but then just have a rule to handle the exception. Mm-hmm. What we found too is that when we have the inboxes that are the service accounts and you know 80% of them are either going into the right Slack channel or the right ticketing system or something or the right file, there's still 20% where you haven't set up the rule or there's just, it, it doesn't exist yet. So having somebody or a resource there to deal with the fallout of anything that hasn't been actioned has been something we've had to deal with for probably closer to a decade. So you've got a dedicated person wrangling that for the team rather than every single person needing to monitor it. That's right. That way they can keep track of the rules, they can set up the automations, they can make sure the right things are being sent to the right people. Because sometimes there's some pretty sensitive stuff that goes through. So maybe eyes for everyone is not necessarily the right move, but good points. Yeah, that makes sense. Everything all right, Paul? The tunnels are just, it's so weird thinking that this is where my grandfather was when the collapse happened. Sorry, Paul. Let's hope this tunnel doesn't end in a pile of rubble. Speaking of where the tunnel ends... A ladder! <sighs> Who's going first? You guys are such wimps.
What do you see? Batteries. A lot of batteries. So these batteries should work? Looks like a supply closet. Uh, hi? Uh, hi? Stuart? Paul? Chad? Jason? You know who that is? You recognize him? No. Automation Town! What were you doing in the supply? Gotta run! Is that Johnny Five tattoo? Yeah, you you are five? To the RV. Automation Town is written and produced by Chad Davis and Jason Stats. Edited by Paul Amara. Keep up with the characters of Automation Town on Twitter. At Automation Town.